Hey everyone, welcome to the other episode of the George Poo Show. I'm your host George Poo. So with us is our co-host Soham. So this past week, there's something really serious. I think we need to cover on the pod, although we're not a political pod. But I think something at this magnitude needs to be at least having a discussion on. So, and I'm sure our listeners know what I'm talking about. It is basically the former U.S. President Donald Trump said basically last last Saturday that he is expecting an indictment in the coming week, which is last week. Although that didn't happen, I think that still can be brought up to charges this week. So I don't know how familiar you are with the whole situation. I know it's all over news, especially all over Twitter, the social media platforms. Not a lot on the mainstream side. So what are you hearing and from this? Yeah, no, basically exactly what you said. Like I think Trump just let out a post saying he's expecting this Tuesday、uh, that he was going to get arrested over the whole Stormy Daniel incident about him, like.、Uh, Which in general it was supposed to be a misdemeanor, right? Like he falsified、uh, legal expenses for what was supposed to be like a payoff for Stormy Daniels. Yeah. So that was、uh, that in general was supposed to be a misdemeanor, and then it's becoming like a big thing about the fact that it's a former president of the United States that's going to happen this too. So it's been like a pretty big echo chambers, I think, on both sides. Like both sides of the coin on this are very, very like、uh, loud about which way they want to see this go and. I think we're not going to know what happens until the shoe actually drops and Trump actually does end up getting arrested. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of things to unpack. Let's go to the very beginning. I think the suit is, as you said, so I mean, is, is related to the、uh, hush money payment, quote unquote, hush money payment to Stormy Daniels, which is essentially like a porn star actress. I think that was what she did. So basically, I think the lawsuit from the leaks that while the lawsuit is is that Donald Trump paid a one hundred twenty thousand dollars, something like around that number. To his then lawyer Michael Cohen, who then made the payment to Stormy Daniels, and essentially he broke the law, quote unquote, by basically saying that as a listing that as a legal expense on the bookkeeping side, instead of basically something else, instead of something else. So, so basically he misclassified that、mm-hmm. expense as legal expense, and apparently now that's criminal. And the DA, the local DA in New York. Apparently, is using some decalon laws before that's basically essentially making this not just a misdemeanor but a criminal, but criminal, right? So, so I mean, is that what's going on? Yeah, that's exactly. It. And、uh, I think you hit the point on the nail there about it being a misdemeanor and the fact that the attorney general is kind of not the attorney general, like the New York State attorney is going after this. It's a little bit mysterious as to why, just because this is already passed like the statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. For what, in general, like if somebody were to get arrested, like the statute of limitations has already been like kind of over. So, like this itself is going to be a really, really,、um, I guess, a turning point for the upcoming election. I think this right here, like in general, I think it's going to spark a lot of Americans that even may not have voted for Trump. Like,、um, I think even Republicans right now, there's a lot, there isn't that many people on the Trump party right now. Like with DeSantis being like a pretty good candidate, like you know, like being well spoken and everything like that. Mm-hmm. This might be a push that a lot of people would then end up voting for Trump. I think this is something Trump actually wanted. Like, I think it helps his case overall for his next election as well. So last week, which is the week before this week, the grand jury convened on Tuesday, but I don't think they convened for Wednesday. And then the grand jury usually meets on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. But then they were hearing other cases and not nothing about the Donald Trump case. Which some people indicated that basically that just means that the case itself it's not solid enough 
and they're going to either try again this week with you know the more time for the DA side, district attorney side, on to prepare for a case before the grand jury. And essentially, how grand jury works, from my understanding, is that if at least half of the grand jury, more than half of the grand jury, voted to indict, and then former President Donald Trump will be indicted and then will be arrested. And then essentially, I think there was a legal procedure after that, including like a mock shot. And all the other perp walk, for example, could also be on the line. My question is, so is like, why has this never been done before? I know Donald Trump is a very controversial political figure, but there are also many presidents in the past in the U.S. that are very controversial. Um, mm-hmm. So why has changed now? Why why do the legal system, you know, the DA feel like it's appropriate to arrest, potentially arrest a former president? Yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of a twofold answer there. One, in general, like just the logistics to be able to arrest, like, former president is just so hard like the reason why trump even found out was because the new york office uh, supposedly had contacted the secret service saying that we are going to be coming here that time right so like just like logistically there like in the past i mean that that was going to be a problem right and then the other part about this whole thing yeah i think the reason why it's for trump specifically is trump's a really really polarizing figure like whichever way you want to look at it you could love him hate him whichever wagon you want to be on but at the end of the day, he's somebody that's kind of like split people on either side of him, right? And that, I think nowadays we've seen like on the left side, the Democratic side, like Joe Biden's entire premise for getting elected was he is not Trump. Like uh, during his whole election, that was probably one of the biggest like things that kind of like got him into the office in general, right? Yeah. So I think that it's just started to um compound over time. Like now, like it feels like the Democrat... You know, they've been taking over Twitter. Like, they started, like, controlling a lot, a lot of social media apps. So I think now, I don't want to say those words, but it seems like they're starting to weaponize, like, the judicial system, too, which is pretty concerning, in my opinion. Yeah. And, I mean, if you look at historical democracies, historical great powers, right, the declining empires, as we mentioned on the show many times before, uh, one of the characteristics is that people are have lost faith in their judicial system, in their legal system. And I think a huge thing that has happened over the past couple of years, especially with Trump, is that there are, you know, many things that have, you know, proven that there are people inside the government who are really trying to work against him and essentially, you know, bending the rules to make him pay, right? If you mm-hmm. have been in New York City, which I have been uh, many times, if you have been in New York City, you know that there are many other concerns that are, you know, of great importance Essentially, there's a crime-riddled city, right? And the DA is not doing anything. And DA in the U.S. is supposed to be indicting people who commit felonies in that specific district. In that case, you know, the DA is responsible to indict people who commit crimes on subways, people who, you know, push people off the rails on, on subway stations, which is far more important, right? And there's so many people die because of that just in the past two years. And random attacks on the streets, gun control, all those different crimes in New York City. There's a lot of crimes happening. I'm not saying that I personally think, you know, Donald Trump's issue is not a huge issue. Like, I think morally, everyone can have their own interpretations. But basically, indicting someone just because of a misclassification of a business expense, which I'm sure if you're a business owner, you can easily make that mistake, right? And in the future, any business people run for presidents and become elected president, and after they are retired as a president, is everything about their business being digged up from before, every declassification, all that can become criminal i think that is just uh like i think like many people said it's basically banana republic yeah no, no i agree with you i think it sets a terrible precedent the fact that the president's supposed to be one of the most like powerful people in the entire world right like the fact that if you can go after him for something that isn't even genuinely that malicious like even if you assume he had bad intent with it at the end of the day it was um 
it was still just classifying something in the wrong bucket. I think there's probably God knows how many different like owners that do that in a malicious intent in general as well, right? Yeah. It just makes no sense the fact that somebody that used to be the president of the United States can get indicted for something that small. Like if it was something like oh, like he had like ordered like a murder, something very very serious charges, that's something then you know this kind of conversation becomes important to have that point right because at that point like where does the boundary come between like law and like if anyone's above the law when a situation is something this small it makes it's yeah yeah exactly what you said george it's very concerning and yeah becomes basically a banana republic i totally agree with you i think okay laws apply to everyone equally right and that means Mm -hmm. that if a former president whoever he or she may be committed something that's serious enough to be indicted about then like so be it right then that's i think everyone's fair on the same page but I think in this case, it's very clear that the local DA of New York is using his personal, I would say, I don't know what's exactly going on there, but maybe his personal grudges because he's a Democrat and he may want, and, and the DA is an elected official, right? So I think in New York and in many places, uh, in most states in the US, you elect public prosecutors, which is a very different system from other democracies. And, and if you elect someone who basically runs on a campaign of, okay, I'm going to eventually, you know, bring justice to people by bringing down potentially, you know, for example, Donald Trump, that is something concerning that because those people, those prosecutors specifically might just want powers and big names for themselves to be known by the public so they can enter higher offices. But I think in the meantime, the potential damage to democracy and to basically like the rule of law, as as, as I, I put it, is just significant. I think this is like just unacceptable for yeah. something as small. If it's something legitimate, if it's something that he actually did that's like criminally wrong, then of course, I think every American will be on the same page on that. But for this one, I think we're not. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I just feel like this is just going to add a lot of fuel to the fire for a lot of people on Trump's like bandwagon. Yeah. And I think uh, we'll await this week on how things go. I think, you know, still we're the grand jury will reconvene this week. Uh, I mean, we're recording this on Monday, I think Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday. So a lot of things can happen this week. Uh, if something did happen, we'll definitely have an emergency episode walking everyone through it. So I think that's really interesting. The reason I brought it up is I think this might not just be a political issue, right? There's also like business implications that potentially have in this. Like if they did bring charges toward Trump, which is, you know, a single event, but does that have any implications for the business community uh, in general moving forward? For example, like, will that make, you know, investors lose more confidence in investing money in the U.S. bonds or treasury yields, does that have other, any other implications that you are seeing right now? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it'll be exactly just from the arrest uh, of like Trump in general, but like I think in general, yeah, the idea of like investors flowing money to the United States is starting to be a question. Like I think beforehand, it was kind of like a no brainer. Like, you know, like you, you always assume your country's uh, treasury yield is the risk free rate for that country. And from all the countries, the most risk free would be the United States. And I think that right there has become like, Challenge like uh, Xi Jinping talking with Putin saying change we're not going to see we haven't seen in a hundred years is coming right like things like that like I think this is starting to like show that part like China's making a step that their currency is going to become something more like involved in the whole like world economics with Saudi Arabia considering using China's currency but, like Russia's ruble starting to be a private economy like uh, with like China India doing trades with the ruble and things yeah I think this Trump arrest all what it's just going to do is just add. It might be the straw that breaks the camel's back because somebody that used to be the president of your entire country, if they can get arrested, I'm sure like um outside investors, they're going to be looking at the United States. This is a geopolitical nightmare right now. Like, I don't know if I want to like put my money in this country. There's just too much going on. 
Yeah, if you look at countries like Myanmar, which I think a year or two ago, their prime minister or their president, uh, Yanshan Shuki, I think that was her name, was arrested and I think sentenced to life uh, by the military. There was, a, there was a military coup essentially that happened in that country and everything was upside down. People were, were, were like revolting, revolutionary. Like, it's just, uh, there's protests on the streets and there's gunfires, right? Like no one wants the same thing to happen for the U.S. But if this is what's going to happen, if the public justice system is going to be turned around and not saying that, you know, the, the laws are wrong, right? It's just like, I think some really ambitious, some maybe too ambitious prosecutors were trying to use the law as a weapon. I think that brings a really bad case for the U.S. And this can happen in any demographic country. Uh, it's not specifically a U.S. problem. Uh, I'm just saying like, this is just, uh, it's just wrong, right? And I think what you said, so um, just now is super important. I'm really curious to see why the media is not really published. And like publicly, there's no mention, not a lot of mentions in the mainstream media about the president Xi Jinping's visit to Moscow. And I think that's such a big item. Like we can do the whole episode today just mm-hmm. for that, right? Like, so give us an overview about, you know, what happened on his visit to uh, Moscow. So Yeah, no, well, I mean, like majority of the uh, visit was like behind closed doors, right? So we don't know like exactly what happened. But like at the end of their meeting, while they're outside, I was just caught on video, Xi Jinping telling Putin, change that we haven't seen in 100 years is going to come. And I think like that reference right there is probably coming to something, George, we've talked about in the show about like a change in the world order, right? Like, um, I think like USA has kind of been like the world reserve currency for a long time, kind of been like that number one. And it's starting to seem like those dominoes are falling. Like we're seeing the US economic system starting to struggle. Like you see like a uh, Silicon Valley bank falling, you know, like some of the other like even bigger banks, like being looking a little bit more like, you know, like struggling, like First Republic looks like they're kind of struggling. All these kind of dominoes falling. I think that is like the big implication for why, like, you know, like, yeah, China and Russia feel a little bit stronger in the sense that there may be a change coming. I think it's shocking on many levels. One of them is the mainstream media or the media in general is not publishing this at all, which is shocking. But I think one big thing I was specifically interested in and also very shocked to see is, is basically what he said about like, we're forming an alliance, right? And we're doing our own thing. So Russia and China are now in one pack. So it's not that's not just that. And then you're adding Saudi Arabia to basically the pool. So there's something about the petroleum. I think so. I'm, I'm sure if you're aware, I think this Russia and China made a pack about gas. And I think either they're going to transact that in Chinese yuan. I think that's how it has already been announced. Are you familiar with that particular deal? Not in detail, but like, yeah, overall, I think what uh, the entire state basically was is that when Russia sells to China, it will be in the ruble. And when Russia buys, it will be like in the yuan and basically vice versa. When okay. China buys, it'll be in the ruble. And when China sells, it'll be in the yuan. So between like China and like Russia, kind of the, you scratch my back, I scratch your back type of okay. situation. And okay. I think like the more like holistic, like the importance behind this is if you take that one step back, the way kind of like um, currencies work is certain countries want the currency to be a bit more devalued because they're an export heavy country. And for them to be able to export to more countries and more countries to be able to afford their products, they want their currency to be worth a little bit less. So more countries can then afford all the products in that country, right? And so with like China and Russia kind of like doing these kind of trades with each other, both of these countries have been export heavy countries that have always tried to keep their currency a little bit lower. But, but with this kind of like move coming between these two countries, it seems like 
maybe like a play towards strengthening both of their currencies for going into the future. Like Russia in general, really, um, the ruble uh, during like the peak of when the war first started, like the ruble completely fell apart. And like, you know, like that could have been completely like catastrophic for Russia. But overall, like it started recovering a little bit. And it seems like now both on the Russia side and the China side, they're, they want to have a bit more for strengthened currency for like whatever is going to happen in the next decade. Yeah. And I was just reading the reports from Al Jazeera. I think it's an a international newspaper. It basically says that China and Russia signed a historical agreement entering the new era, quote unquote, of their relationships. And I think so. just like you said, the yuan purchasing is very important. And also the agreement also pushed forward the planned power of Siberia 2 pipeline, which would deliver 50 billion cubic meters of natural gas per year from Russia to China via Mongolia. And I think Putin said Moscow was ready to increase oil exports to Beijing after they have completed all agreements on the aisle. Basically, essentially after Xi's visit, they have signed all the agreements. And I think they also signed internet deals happening. And then they also signaled there will be more political cooperation, although not military cooperation between those countries. And I think, you know, one country that's been sidelined from all this is, is the U.S., um, and I think, you know, Saudi Arabia signing deals with, with you know, Russia on their own without the U.S. I also think, you know, like what we said, India buying pennies on a dollar of natural gas. But the first to do so, I think, after the Russia-Ukraine war. So, like, we, we discussed this many times, Sohan, before on the show. But I think this meeting, specifically, if you take a look at their meeting videos, essentially how they met and how the U.S. is completely sidelined from all this. Like, what is that saying for, you know, where we are moving forward on the, on the geopolitical side? I think this is saying, essentially, it's starting to come together towards the line. Since we were like little kids for the past 10, 15 years, we've always heard about the BRIC countries, right? So like Brazil, Russia, India, and China. These were the emerging countries, like in terms of like the next economies that are going to be big and stuff like that. And in recent times, Saudi Arabia got it. So it became the BRICS instead of just BRIC, right? And so between these five countries, I don't think Brazil has played as much of a role in this, but I think a part of that reason is also the geographic difference because of how far Brazil is from the rest of these countries. Uh, you know, with uh, China, India, and Russia kind of all being like neighbors of each other. It makes sense for the three of them to kind of be able to have a bit more in terms of like, uh, talk and want to have some kind of a alliance just because being neighbors, that's the whole reason why the Russia-Ukraine war started, right? You don't want your neighbor to be your enemy kind of situation. So yeah. that made sense for their three. And then then Saudi Arabia kind of enters this picture just because they're kind of like right there in the middle of the, basically the whole planet. And they're the oil and gas giant. They're the heavyweight for it. And that's kind of what's been the driving fuel behind why Russia's kind of been able to stay alive. Even though like for a point, the entire Europe and North America completely silenced and shushed them like with like tariffs the ground right because russia still had a bunch of natural resources so what we're seeing is like now with um china and russia there it's an opportunistic game right like if you see an opportunity you're gonna want to take it and it looks like xi jinping is is starting to take the opportunity to kind of like see if there's genuine change that can happen in the world order yeah and i think there's a lot of news i was watching on twitter i was just searching it up i think mexico's president had just re recently released a statement blaming us on the armed transfers on like sending weaponry to Ukraine. And I think he also said, my nation has more democracy than the US, I think just last week. And that's something that has not been reported on in media. I'm sorry. And then let me just read the news for everyone. Mexico's president said Tuesday that his country is more democratic than the United States. 
basically he was rejected any U.S. comment even through the U.S. State Department, and they basically said that okay, we respect our own sovereignty, and there's more democracy in Mexico than it could ever exist in the United States. And I think that he also made some comments on Ukraine. And to be like, you know, like to, for everyone who doesn't know, which I don't think I don't think anyone doesn't know, Mexico is on a border of USA. It's a neighbor country. And why isn't anyone reporting on, you know, Mexico's president's comments towards, you know, US aiding Ukraine and also the election reforms? Like, what do you think, Sam? So? In terms of the media side, uh, uh, in that part, I think we've been on this like pod, just like I, we've been yelling it for a while now, like. Independent journalists on Twitter are much, like just seem much more reliable at this point than like that mainstream media. Like you're only getting basically what they want to like hand feed you on this mainstream media kind of side, and the, the stuff that's completely been filtered by pol- uh, politicians. And I, I want to say the left in particular for a majority of the news channels. I think there's some channels that are a bit more right leaning, like Fox and other ones. Yeah. But for the most part, like it's complete filtered content that you're just never going to be able to know like what's actually happening in the world. And so these independent journalists are actually coming out or like, uh, you know, the smaller like uh, publishing papers that are coming out with these kind of stories. It makes no sense why something so important doesn't get like brought up more. And the actual thing, what what, um, the Mexican leader kind of was uh, alluding to, I think that's becoming a big problem in general too, just because USA is slowly evolving more and more into a plutocracy where just the rich can kind of just like buy some form of power. Where like, you know, we're seeing like the billionaires that are coming up they have a lot more influence than what's been like before at all. Like if you saw the congressional hearing for TikTok, right? Like the amount that Meta had kind of gone into lobbying for something like this too, right? Yep. It's pretty concerning when we like uh, start looking at is USA really as democratic and as free a market as we've always kind of like pictured? Yeah. Very interesting points that you brought up. It's like why on the media bringing more information about it. I, I think now everything... That's remotely interesting. Like this is why people turn to podcasts because podcasts you talk, you can talk about things that are not being covered in the mainstream media. Like on this show, we talk about the Nord Stream pipeline attacks, and I'm I don't want this whole segment to be about U.S. again. But like I was on Wall Street Journal, which is a U.S. based newspaper, okay, and I was reading an article that's basically saying that okay, U.S. officials and German officials outlining how the Nord Stream pipeline was attacked. And essentially, they were saying that, okay, a couple people speaking, you know, Ukrainian language approached uh, a German harbor city and then rented a sailboat. And then three days or six days after, the Nord Stream pipeline got blew up. And if you go to the comment section of Wall Street Journal, and uh, obviously everyone commenting, most of them will be from the U.S. And they're calling the BS of the editors of the writers who wrote that article. And they're like, how can you publish this propaganda that's clearly fed up to you by the people at the top? You're just repeating what people are telling you to write, right? You're not informing people of, you know, something subjective, something that's, you know, it's really true, which is, I don't know what it is, but everyone kind of on Twitter, everyone on Reddit, on a social media that's not really censored by any way, they're saying that a pipeline has been blown up by USA, even including some Bloomberg interviews, not which is shocking. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they did, but, you know, so I'm like uh, the North Stream pipeline thing we haven't talked about for so many episodes up until this point. And I, I mean, like, what are your thoughts about, just the Nord Stream pipeline and why we, it's been almost a year and we still haven't heard anything from officials, but, you know, we've been getting these articles that, okay, we're closing in, we're closing in. And it's people speaking Ukraine, <laughs> Ukraine language. So they must be Ukrainians, special forces or something. So what do you think? So, yeah, no, in terms of the propaganda side of it, I completely agree. I think it's been like really something to like kind of prop up the fact, oh, like very strong Ukrainians, very like nationalistic stuff like that. So I agree with that part of it. 
I honestly ha- haven't been able to like read too much on Norshin Pipe exactly for the reason kind of you're saying where it's been silenced a lot and it's just concerning. I think to me overall, like on the bigger picture, the fact that whenever we like see these kind of like headlines, we don't get to know the actual facts of the entire case. You know, like when like a lawyer were to like present facts in the court, they choose the exact way to frame their argument, right? It feels like newspaper articles are supposed to be like an unbiased source of truth is now starting to become a framing. And it's like, they're all op-eds now, just like opinionated pieces. And I don't even know like where to go to fix this because I think this kind of stems more to the root of the problem being, where's the revenue coming for a lot of these like newspaper publishings? Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think right now, because how essentially the news is getting monetized, it's a lot about based on clicks and shares and eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And I think negative uh, information, like we said, has been covered a lot on this. But I do wonder why they're repeating the party line. They're like United Front on many issues like the Norton Pipeline, though. But it could be something underneath that we don't know yet. But I'm just saying that I don't know why they did it. Why maybe there's some rules against it. Um, but I'm just saying that's why people are turning to mediums like Substack and podcasts, anything that doesn't you know, repeat the common lines towards mm-hmm. things. So I just think it's shocking that uh, only the podcast can can bring can bring the actual news these days, which is really shocking. So I think so. I'm like, there's also some news that happened today, I think, re- regarding regional banks. I know we did a segment last week about regional banks, actually the last two segments about regional banks. So it's, it's been happening pretty fast. I think today, tell us more about, you know, the announcement regarding uh, SVB. I think uh, First Citizen ended up buying like a majority of a lot of the assets that SVB kind of hauled underneath. I think the like kind of like the motivation behind it is uh, the FDIC basically is just coming in, kind of being like a shield around uh, First uh, Citizen saying, you know, like uh, we're, we're securing all the deposits. Don't worry about anything like that. Just try to take the finish line so that, you know, like this can have like a bit more of a green pasture. Overall, I think this is kind of good. And on the other side, uh, the other part of two, you know, for uh, Silvergate, I don't know if you heard like uh, MicroStrategy kind of paid back their like, huge loan that they had with Silvergate and that kind of like propped up their like uh, bank a little bit as well. Like I think the stock was up 20-ish percent after like those news. Okay. That's very interesting because I think I was reading about the SVB deal. So mm-hmm. essentially First Citizens Bank acquired a portion of SVB's assets. And then this bank, for Citizens Bank, it's mostly based in North Carolina and it's owned by one family. And I think they only had $42 billion in assets three years ago, sorry, deposits. And now they will have $219 billion after the SVB deal. So it's actually a very good deal for them. And I think on the downside, there's downside protections as well. I think any losses from the credits and from the loans will be shared by both the bank and FDIC, which I think is a pretty good deal. And I'm shocked that they can't actually reach a deal this fast. And it's not like JP Morgan or anyone come out to save the deal, but it's actually a very small regional bank. So, so what does that tell the market? Is it comes them a little bit more or does it still present problems ahead? I don't think any of the big banks want to touch this with a 12-foot pole. Like after what happened with JP Morgan in the 08 crisis when they tried like, you know, bailing out Bear Stern. At the time, maybe everyone like, kind of applauds you for a bit. But afterwards, like all the congressional hearings that Jamie Dimon had to go through everything like that. I don't think any of the big banks kind of want the headache of SVB. And I'm kind of happy that like a smaller bank took it instead of like one of the bigger regional banks, just because it still allows for a much more competitive landscape for the banking sector. Because I think I've been on the pod for a bit too. Like I don't really like the idea of it all like, kind of like pulling into like just a couple banks the way like a lot of people were like, kind of hypothesizing. Might just like end up happening if bank runs were to start like becoming a bit more normal. So I'm I'm happy it was somebody like a much smaller player, and uh, I'm not too surprised. We did see that HSBC bought like uh, 
Silicon Valley banks, like UK portfolio for like a dollar or a euro. Yep. So yeah, I don't think uh, there are a lot of uh, bidders for this. <laughs> I think there's too much of a headache in terms of everything overall. Yeah, that's interesting. I think so. You mentioned something about First Republic before, right? So there's some news about First Republic Bank, which got rescued last week. But there's something new going on with First Republic. Yeah, no. So First Republic has just been getting a lot of injection in terms of like uh, capital. Uh, I think uh, if you were like listening to like the Jerome Powell uh, Fed announcement uh, for the 0.25 or quarter hike, there they basically had said that we're gonna like uh, keep all assets at par value. That was something else that kind of like helped with First Republic. But like essentially, a lot of depositors are still trying to leave. And the important thing has become one thing that's different in this like bank run or possible bank runs now versus back in the day is these are corporate bank runs. This isn't like a regional, like residential people that are like running from the bank. These are corporate accounts, which is like worth like, you know, like hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars. And First Republic as a bank specifically was kind of like a boast in low interest rates and I like gave a lot of favorable terms. So a lot of high net worth people were kind of like starting to bank here. So like right. that kind of thing is like the reason why a lot of the bigger banks like JP Morgan and like even like the Fed coming and everything like that, they're starting to prop up First Republic as well because First Republic falling would be a much bigger disaster than something like Silicon Valley Bank falling itself. So we're seeing, I believe today morning itself or yesterday it was like 30 billion more like capital injection just to kind of like keep First Republic going in case more depositors want to leave. That's crazy. Yeah. I think the banking crisis is unfolding. Um, I think it's a lot more calmer than two weeks ago. I think my prediction is I don't think the uh, sort of bank run will happen in the near weeks or months. I think the macroeconomic side and the bank side, I think we are safe after this SVP acquisition. Mm-hmm. I, I think, but in that doesn't solve the problems that many banks still are invested or investing in very illiquid, dangerous assets. Right, that can fall in value or has fallen in value, just like they haven't been brought up yet. If the Fed didn't bail out SVB's depositors, then I think this thing is just got gonna get a lot worse, which yeah, it's crazy. So let's move into our next topic. I think it's Lyft hire new CEO as their co-founder stepped down. I think it's the big news items of today and today's mm-hmm. Monday. So they they really came out with a bang with this news. And I think so um, we talk about a couple episodes back about you know the founder resignation phenomena. And I, I was talking to you about I think Instacart's founder resigned, uh, a CEO resigned as, you know, founder and CEO and just remained as chairman. Um, essentially, he's pursuing a new startup as well. And those are just isolated incidents, but we're hearing more and more about the resignations happening, even for a company as big as Lyft. And if you're reading their statement, they said, the macro economy is tough and the world is full of some uncertainties. And that's a real factor for sure. And then when you zoom in one click, the competitive environment is tough. We have a very aggressive, very aggressive competitor. And that's the new CEO spoke in an interview with the Wall Street Journal. Actually, that's from the founder, not from the new CEO. So the founder said mm-hmm. that before or after they stepped down. So like, so what does that tell you about, you know, what's going on with Lyft and the broader you know, tech community market? I think that's uh, in general, like the ride sharing space has become much, much more competitive in the last little bit. I know that Uber Lyft kind of won their one lawsuit in terms of the whole um like having their people that they hired, like to be contractors, not employees. I think that was like one of the few positives that the uh, ride sharing industry has been seeing. But overall, I think it's it's just like telling us that it's hard to be a like a ride sharing business like now because now we're seeing a uh, competition not only on the car side, we're also seeing competition on the AI side. You know, like in terms of like self driving cars that might want to do this themselves too, right? That kind of changed like Lyft's entire business model too. So it makes sense for them to try to because like. 
personally, I think the co-founders just like it was just too competitive an environment for them personally. Like, um, I think Lyft completely transformed from what their vision of it was into something different now. The environment's just too different for them. And you have like bring in like you know David Richard, like a seasoned veteran that used to be at Amazon, used to be at Microsoft, like uh, kind of knows the um, like has like a network in the tech space a bit more. Might be good because competing against Uber right now is. Lyft is starting to fall behind just because Uber has added a lot of different features like Uber Eats and things like that, that have really started like driving their revenue to becoming like a multifaceted like model. Yeah, I think there's one thing very interesting from the Wall Street Journal I wanted to say that late last year, basically Lyft laid off more than 700 employees or 13% of their staff and scaled back on other businesses such as renting cars to customers as a look to weather a possible recession. Lyft stock has tumbled over 74% in the last 12 months, whereas Uber shares has only fallen about 10%. So I'm like, why is that? I'm actually very curious to see. Is that because Uber is more hedged? It has ride sharing. Uh, it has not only ride sharing, but also have delivery businesses. Yeah, I think that's a, a big reason why. Like in terms of uh, Lyft being kind of like a pure play in ride sharing, it's becoming a lot harder just in general because I mean, Overall, if you're not using your car, like now people are like really sticky with whichever one they use. And like if you had Uber on your phone, like you're kind of just sticking with it. Like you know, like back in the day, like Lyft was kind of like making a market share, like uh, taking Uber's market share by being like a little bit cheaper. But now I think if they're on the same price, Uber has like a bit more features with like Uber Black, stuff like that. I don't know if like Lyft has that or not because I personally use Uber as well. But like it's hard for like Lyft to be able to like uh, kind of be able to get enough people as well to work in these like smaller cities that they can actually like have enough of a market, enough people uh, exposure that people can actually use the service itself too. Yeah. I think is this a broader conversation to have though? So because it's not just about Lyft founders mm-hmm. stepping down. I think the broader tech community, people are stepping down as founders. They're focusing on other ventures. Does it say something about the macroeconomics? Is it something that basically people are not seeing hope for the next couple of years? For their business to bounce back. This includes startup founders, pre-IPO companies, post-IPO companies. It seems like we are around very round circle with all this. Does it mean that they're not optimistic about what's coming next for the economy? Yeah, I think it's kind of on both sides. I think, yeah, like personally, like the founders aren't as optimistic. And like I think the companies itself would do a little bit better without the founders being the main like uh, captain in the situation. Just because founders are great as visionaries, as being able to like, you know, like, try to like create something out of nothing kind of situation. That's a little bit different from someone that's like a survivor, someone that's like a general. You know what I mean? Like uh, with interest rates this high, with capital being this hard to get, with funding being really hard to get, what becomes important is like going concern. Like is your business going to be able to like, you know, make it to tomorrow, keep the lights on, stuff like that. With like banking prices like the like uh, SVB. Like uh, you want like a seasoned veteran that's kind of battle tested in terms of, uh, you know, making those hard decisions. You know, I think like founders usually uh, kind of have like a rosier vision, like a more high level. And that's not good for times, kind of like where the economy is going to now. I think it just outlines about the uncertainties that really lies ahead for our economy. I feel like if you go around, and this is very different than, than 08, is that if you go around today, and if the U.S. haven't changed definition of recession, we will be in a recession, quote unquote, today. But mm-hmm. if you look around, go out, you know, shop and, and everything, I don't think people are really complaining much aside from the food prices being very high. I just did grocery today. It was expensive. It was like, oh, my God. I compare last year, just, I mean, it's just crazy how, how much more it is. The mm-hmm. gas is more expensive. But aside from that, I feel like everyday people are not feeling the squeeze. Um, although I do have some personal like stories hearing from friends, friends of friends, all that. I'm hearing that 
some people are having real issues keeping up with the car loan payments because of the interest rates going up. And I hear that there are defaults happening in buy now, pay later platforms um, such as Klarna and others like that. People are just abandoning the ability. They're just abandoning their plan to pay for those services. And if you know how the, how it works is that uh, if you bought something by now, pay later from Apple, Apple is not going to pay for that if you don't pay, right? The fintech company who is powering Apple is going to pay for that, which is a firm. So I think, you know, those are the stories I'm hearing about, you know, rising interest rates are hurting people. I think we are finally coming into a place where it's not just tech companies are getting hurt. It's not just, you know, large businesses like, like Disney today announced cuts of 7,000 employees, which are big numbers, right? For the affected employees. But I think right now it's getting into the average day people's lives, the consumers. Um, so what are you seeing or hearing from like, you know, folks around you or just, you know, colleagues? I think this is something we we're talking about. The behavioral sentiment hasn't changed enough or drastic enough in terms of like the way the actual um, prices are. Like, yeah, people complain about the food because that's something you're seeing every day, right? Yep. Like, you know, like you're buying a burger, you're buying your groceries like every week, every day type of thing. So those uh, costs are hitting you like on a daily basis. You're starting to see those differences. But the other things like, you know, like your um, like luxury items, like maybe you want to buy a TV, buy a new laptop, seeing those prices go up, like you don't really notice because you, you don't really remember what the old prices used to be. Like uh, what you were talking about, like the used car, I think I saw like interest rates are almost 14% for some of these used cars, which is just insane if you think about it. Like, you're paying 14% more on the ticket price every single year for this one car. Like it's become like a much bigger decision when it comes to like purchasing those like bigger scale items, right? And as the savings start depleting, because I think we we're talking about this, right? Like uh, by the end of this year, it's like projected a lot of people will be like kind of done with their savings, like kind of like run through it. I think that's when we're going to see like a really different like uh, economy, like really starting to emerge. So I guess the best advice for folks who are listening to the podcast is just to, you know, save up as much as you can for this year, because we're, uh, I think, uh, at least for me, I'm anticipating something that's really hard coming down on the second half of this year, probably even like Q3 and Q4 of this year, which is coming really soon. So, I mean, I, my advice would be just to save up as much as I can, save a little bit, you know, save a portion every week. Uh, I'm actually going to do that myself, going to save up a lot just to weather the storm. You know, like, so um, what's your personal advice to like our listeners who are thinking like what's ahead for this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not financial advice by any means. But one thing I've been starting to do is like maybe like dollar cost average a little bit. I want to like start just like getting into the market just because like I have enough like uh, money that I can like put a bit more into the market and like know that I'll be kind of okay. But and if you do have that much, I think now is like the right time to start putting something into the market just because one, you know, like uh, you never know when the bottom is and it, m- it might go down other like 10, 15 percent, uh, maybe 20 percent from here. But I mean, at the end of the day, it, it might not like, uh, it's good to like start getting some kind of a uh, exposure into it. And so, like, you know, like on like a weekly basis, start like building like some kind of a portfolio up. So if you have the means to do it, I would definitely suggest that. And if not, then like, yeah, I agree. Just like holding on to cash is important right now. I wouldn't advise any kind of like uh lavish uh, purchases, you know, like maybe that uh third car can wait, maybe, uh you know, like upgrading the house, something like that could wait a bit. Because it seems like right now is not the economy to kind of go close to your means. Yeah, and then just rethink about debt. I think it's another another thing because like debt, for example, if you get a not fixed rate mortgage a year or two years ago, it was only three percent or two percent. Now it's like seven, eight percent could be go a lot higher, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think that's something people are not anticipating. Like, why is my interest payments a lot higher compared with you know last year? So those are all invisible costs, and I think you know, like at least for my business, we're paying down debt as fastly as we possibly can, just to get rid of debt uh, in the coming months, and just to really free about reinvesting our cash. 
So as a business, that's where we're heading. And I think the same thing is going towards individuals as well. Like just pay off the debts that you, you could, right? The unsecured debts, all that. Like, you know, I run a own business before still, right? I understand how it works. And I think it's just very, very important to do that. Not financial advice, obviously. Um, but yeah, but those are, those are our points. And for this week, you know, we're trying out a shorter version of the podcast. So if you, our listeners have any suggestions, if you think shorter is better, if you think longer is better, definitely write us on Twitter. You know, you can go to the description of the podcast, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and let us know your thoughts. Thank you so much, Sohan, for the insights for this week. Uh, we got, we have some really interesting points. I think our listeners will like. And if you have any thoughts, um, definitely write to us in our podcast channel and our Twitter, LinkedIn, and everyone can listen to this podcast. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. 